You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Bardi, back for the weekly talk and footy episode. And this week we've got Perso back on board. Perso hasn't been on, oh, probably five weeks or something, six weeks maybe. So it's been it's been a little while, but a lot of things have changed in, in a month or so of footy, mate, because you come back on board now. Last time you were, you know, the pessimistic Tigers fan that we know and love, and, and now you've got some things to smile about. You've got two, two wins since then, so things are changing. <laughs> yeah, well, the pricks cost me two perfect rounds in a row, didn't they? <laughs> when, they when they beat the Earls and Seahouses, and then I picked them last week and they lost. So <laughs> that's about the first time I picked them in 18 months. I thought they were pretty good value last week. They were like $2.50 that they started at, and I was quite surprised. Like, I, I actually, I picked well, them last week. Yeah, too. If you look at the stats on that game, if, if, you had, if you didn't watch the game, and you went back and looked through the stats for that game, you'd go, how did the Tigers lose that game? They just won every stat category. They just couldn't score. But anyway. Well, let's talk about that now. So for those that are tuning in for the first time, Talking Footy episodes each week uh, are just about Talking Footy. No Supercoach. Supercoach episodes are on Tuesday night for Supercoach TLT. They drop Wednesdays. The Talking Footy episodes drop every Friday, which is talking everything footy. Uh, it's talking about the current stuff, what's going on, how the games are going, all the talking points, as well as some old stuff as well. We've got a really good legend rewind tonight where we're going to talk about uh, one of my favourite old players. Yeah, looking forward to that. It's going to be one of my favourites. Oh, it's going to be great to get into it. I can't wait. You know, I'm trying not to just to get to the end of the podcast just to talk about this guy. So everyone stay on board because it's going to be a cracker for the legend rewind. But first of all, we started talking about round eight. Let's keep talking about round eight. Your Tigers... We're a low light of it. Uh, so you mentioned the stats per se, and you're quite right. The the thing that sticks out around eight for me from the Tigers was that they just beat two really good sides in, in South and the Eels. And you sort of thought that the footy they were playing was quite good. Um, they were close wins, but they were good ones. And then they just couldn't do anything um, against the Dragons. And, um, and no, neither of those sides played well. Like it wasn't. It was a 12-6 game and it was a bit of a bludger. So I think that if they played one of those... Um, like parasides that were in form or a south side in form or some of the other sides that haven't played yet, they potentially would have got flogged last week. Yeah, I've got a bit of a different take on that, actually, looking at it from you, Barnsley. Yeah. I don't think it was that. Like, I've seen some fucking bludges from them this year. <laughs> <laughs> that Warriors game was worse than that Titans game, and they were both dead set bludges. I actually didn't, didn't mind the game itself. Um, they didn't actually play a lot different to they did the last couple of weeks. They just couldn't score points. Like you, I didn't think they had much. I didn't think they had any attack, and that was when the nah, main reason atta- I'd say that they would have gotten done pretty badly by some of the other sides. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. If they went up, like St George could only put twelve points on them. But the I'll, I'll run through a few of the stats there. They, they had fifty five percent possession. They completed at seventy cent seventy seven percent to the Dragons seventy three. They um, had. 1,999 run meters, which is 461 more than the Dragons. They had 106 more post contact meters. They had five line breaks to four. They had 56 tackle breaks to 21. They had 164 kick return meters to 142. They had 15 offloads to two. They had four forced dropouts to one. They had 35 less tackles in their own half. They had 21 missed tackles to the Dragons 56. 
they won the six again to zero. They won the penalties eight to one. They won less error than Dragons, which only had like 10 errors for the game. Like, <laughs> you look at the stats and you think, how the hell did they lose that game? All their middle forwards ran for over 100 metres again, which they've done for the two weeks beforehand. So there's positives to take out of it. But um, obviously, to have that much in your favour and not be able to knock off a sword like the Dragons, it's a bit of a concern. Yeah, it is. And like like you said, other sides are going to put more points in 12 on them, um, even under those circumstances. And look, you can... You can have 80% of all, but if you don't do anything with it, like oh, and we've seen sides like, like that in the past, right, which is the real crap football that we've seen in the past where you get sides that go five hit-ups kick sort of thing and they're just going to drive you into the ground for an 8-6 win or something. It's like it's, it's not going to fly. It's just not going to work. And, you know, it's, it's kind of where you're going towards with the Tigers with those numbers. Like they should have done a lot more with the ball and if they can't against the Dragons, like you said, Bit of a worry. A um, couple of other things that came out of the last round, per se, though. The Broncos had a really good unexpected win over the Sharks, 16-7. to And obviously, Talakai versus Staggs was a big talking point. Staggs would have got it on the... Would have got the points on that one. Uh, I don't I, I didn't think that... Um, people aren't going to like what I'm going to say here. It's, <laughs> I sort of thought Staggs got overrated a little bit in that, right? Like, I, I certainly think that he played better than Talakai did. Um, but it was kind of like he had one highlight reel play with the try, which was really good. And the defence stuff, like I, I sort of think that it keeps, it's getting overstated now that like Staggs is this defensive maestro. Uh, I don't think that he has been in the past. He's, a, he's big and he's physical, but I thought the inside men of the Broncos earned as much, if not more credit than what the, than what Staggs did himself because they were helping out in droves. You know, they had two or three coming in along with Staggs. Yeah. Oh, it- it certainly wasn't just stags. That obviously, like you didn't have to be uh, Nostradamus to look at the what Talakai did against uh, Manly the week before, and to notice that that right edge is going to aim up on him. And they were they were on him. It wasn't just stags. It was the old Broncos right edge. We're just on him, giving him no time at all. I reckon but, Reynolds uh, was offside about three times that first half, chasing oh, up. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, no, so too. they were just, it was just on. So, and then yeah, to Broncos' credit, the, um, the Sharks got a little bit rattled with their attack. They were a little bit flat last week with their attack. They've been the last couple of weeks, but um, Broncos played well. Yeah, they did. They really aimed up. Well, the other thing, too, that was a bit understated that um, I guess in hindsight, you sort of think, why, why didn't more of us kind of think about it? But there was a couple of errors that Talakai made that actually weren't his fault at all. So it was a little bit um, slack for him to, to cop them on the stat sheet because Wade Graham came back for his first game, right? And him him going back on that side, he threw a couple of terrible yep. balls to Talakai and it's not necessarily Wade Graham's fault, but it, it really made that, that edge dishevelled and not what Talakai was used to. And also Wade Graham needs some footy under his belt to be able to get his timing right. And that was definitely evident there too. That was late in the game too. Obviously, yeah, it's great to see um, Graham come back. With the, he's had a couple of really bad head knocks last year, and he was sort of bordering down that long that it could be one more, and he's going to be like Boyd Cordner or Jake Friend and those guys. So it was good to see him get through the game. But he was clunky. He, he he's well underdone for a run. But I I just thought that the, that whole left side attack hasn't been the way it's been in the last few weeks for the Sharks even before Graham got on the field. And the Broncos are ready for it every time. Like they knew it was going to Talakai. They were all over him like a cheap suit. They were on him every time. And like from the get-go, like belted him. 
So, and that's one of the things too. Like, it, it obviously when when someone sort of busts out with a massive game, or or even if they're having a breakout season, you, you see it sometimes with breakout seasons, right? Where the second season you have a massive letdown, and it's because teams go through the tape and have a look at things, and they can adjust. And for I, I reckon for a, a lot of what Talakai did, you can adjust from the week before if you're a good enough side. I didn't think the Broncos would be a good enough side though, so credit to them. Yeah, hundred percent, but. <laughs> that's the thing you'd expect that from a from one who's saying top tier size, but they do it just as well. So the Broncos that they can show up. They've shown this year that they can turn up. Even that game against Penrith the other week, uh, sixty minutes of that game they were in it, and the Panthers just came home over the top of them. But um, they they put a number on South earlier in the year. They certainly put a number on um, Cronulla last week. So interesting to see tonight because yeah. we're recording this right before the Broncos and Souths kick off. So I think tonight will be the lit- litmus test on whether the Broncos can actually back it up. or Especially with no Haas and Cope. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be a big loss. Um, but other takeaway from round eight as well, power in the Knights absolutely stunk. So it was uh, great. Like, you, you would have known with the Knights, right? Like, they're not going well. They're playing the Storm. They lost 50-2. to two. Melbourne are red hot. Um, but... With the Cowboys, you know, I mentioned the last couple of weeks that they've gone under the radar a little bit, second-best defensive side in the league at the moment on a couple of metrics. Cows were phenomenal. And they played really well. And, like, Parra, Parra were bad, but 35-4, to four, that was a, a really solid win for them. Parra weren't even that bad statistically. <laughs> when you look, they had more possession and better completion rights. So it wasn't like they had an absolute shocker, but they just... Um, Cowboys had the, got in front. And the Eels just couldn't come back at him. It was, the cows are really good, really good in that game. The defence and drink water are the two things that I think have really pulled them through to make them compete. Oh, yeah. Like last, that's the last sort of 15 minutes of that game, the defence went out the window a bit for the Eels. But it's not that they played completely horribly to get beaten like that. The, the Cowboys just showed up and they had more than the Eels, which is, yeah. Bit of worry for the Earls. But I think they'll probably turn up this week against Penrith and it'll be the game of the round. But we'll see how we go with that. So obviously, you know, you're a Tigers fan, but you're down Newcastle way. Um, fifty to two the storm, like I oh. said, pretty expected. I think that I think that flattered the Knights, to be honest. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, like one of the things that was uh They were horrendous. Yeah, and they went for that too, which was just like I know. Like you sort of think there's no time left, but like why even bother? Like why not just hope for the best? And I don't want to repeat what commentators and and people have said in the media, but at least go for the try. Like it just it really does say a lot. And the coaches come out and said that he was upset about that, and that was Caitlin Ponga's decision, um, which is the other point of this where we're going to talk about Ponga's contract a little bit later. Well, they were down down twenty six nil. What's the point of taking to like? Take the tap, put a bomb up or something. Try and get something in. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's just a, it's just a nothing play, an absolute nothing play. You may as well kick it out in a touch and do nothing with it. It's it's not going to do anything for you. So although they were very disappointing, and and like you said, it did flatter them a little bit. Um, the scoreline because oh, they, no. uh, the Storm could have done a seventy like they did against the Warriors. Really, they were horrendous. The Knights they completed at fifty five percent. They had thirty seven percent possession on the back of that, and they. They were horrible. They just had uh, from where they've gone from round one and two to where they are now. It's 
uh, it's hard to comprehend. I've got no confidence. They obviously not playing with confidence. I know they've got a pretty young spine. and they've got a lot of injuries. But uh, from what the way they played in the first two rounds to where they are now, it's hard to see where their next win's going to come from. Yeah, it really is. And like you mentioned the stats, and it's just it's it's sort of the first couple of rounds. I kind of thought that whilst they're not going to really trouble sides like Melbourne. They played the style of football that was going to be competitive, so they might grind them a little yeah. bit. Whereas you look at weeks like this now where they're at, and Melbourne had twice as many sets completed as they did. Melbourne completed 32 sets, the Knights completed 16. Like That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, and I don't think Melbourne were anywhere near their best either. No, so no, no. It's, they, they still put 50 on them. That's the thing. Yeah, and like the, between the penalties and... Um, the completed sets, and then just just watching the game, it's it's hard. It is hard to see how they're going to win going forward. But obviously, they they're going to turn around somewhat because I don't think they can get any worse. And that's probably the only silver lining for them coming out of round eight. Other team that uh, was disappointing again was my Roosters. So credit to the Bulldogs; they got a good win. Um, I actually thought watching that game that the my heart sank when Ado Carr got that got that intercept um, because you know it was. It, it was in the first half. It was only the 20th minute, but it was, you know, the Roosters were attacking 10 metres out. They really probably should have shown a bit more already in that game than what they had in the first sort of quarter of the game. And then they were attacking 10 out and then all against play, you know, Adokar goes 90 metres and scores, you know, it's just, and that's sort of, that's sort of the tale of how the Roosters are going at the moment. Unfortunately, it was a bit of a, you know, a rainbow ball thrown over that just shouldn't have been thrown, but they're obviously desperate for some points. And that really, that really undone them. Um, so, it, you know, the Bulldogs played well. I thought they played good footy. But once again, the Roosters have only scored 12 points on the on the weekend. Um, and it's very much about what's going to get this attack going. And I think that we saw a lot of the problems that we've seen in the the other weeks. Um, I guess if I were to take a silver lining out of it, you know, I thought Tedesco was, again, outstanding. 25 runs, 11 tackle breaks, a line break try, four offloads, three of three tackles, none missed, only one error. He, he couldn't have done any more. So that was probably my silver lining to take out of it. But, you know, well done, Bulldogs fans. You got off the bottom of the ladder. I never said Teddy. Teddy's back to his form. Um, he was a little bit underdone through the preseason. But the last, I think the last two weeks, you could see it the week before, his runs are back, his tackle backs are back. And then again against the Dogs, they're up again. So he's in everything now. He's back to peak fitness, which is going to help him. But... Their errors, the, the the Chooks' errors was the problem. That That's why they lost that game. Uh, it was one of those games where the, the dogs played well. They always, they're gritty, they hang in. They don't have a lot of points in them, but they're defensively fairly good. You sort of always thought the Chooks were going to come over the top of them at some point. And sort of, they almost did with that Suwali try where mm. he put his foot Very out close. slightly, but... Yeah, like it came down to the wire, but it's, the Chooks are just a little bit clunky. But it's the errors. They had 18 errors and they completed at 66%. It's... And one of the things with those errors too, which, you know, it's the type of errors that you're making is really important. Mm. And the errors that we're making are when we're potentially in attacking position Crucial or trying times. to get, um, you know, a, yeah. a line break away or trying to do a play for... For someone to, you know, for Teddy to get some space and things like that. Like, you know, I mentioned that at Ocar try, you know, that's a massive error, you know, attacking 10 metres out, throwing intercept error, and it results in, in six points. So it's the, the type of errors 
that they're getting is, is a real killer. Um, but look, we move on. Um, the other thing that we're going to talk about, and it goes on to our second topic now, but it is a byproduct of the round review, is obviously Manly were very gallant. They had Lawton sent off, and I thought that they were... You know, it was actually a really good game of footy, that one. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, Manly looked like that they were maybe going to have an all-time upset, um, but... It was always going to be hard when they only had 12 men for 70 minutes, right? But and a bloke sent off in the eighth minute and they led 10 2. Yeah, it was yeah, it was pretty That's, pretty startling. They aimed up. So well done to them, but let's talk about the Lawton send-off because that's going to be the one of the big talking points of the last week. Uh, I understand that a lot of media outlets and stuff have covered it and everything, but we haven't look for me per so what well before I even look at it and say what I think, you know, I, I actually found it quite amazing. It's some of the commentary, um, both from experienced people like Phil Gould, but also from uh, fans. You know, if you, I'm hearing you, Bart, it's been ridiculous. <laughs> it has been crazy. Like I'll, I'll repeat some of the fan stuff that I've seen, but basically, you know, there's a lot of fans that have kind of. You know, I, I find it amazing how often fans, and I, I don't mean all fans, but some fans want short want high shots sent off. You know, and whinge about a high shot not being sent off, or or whinge about a high shot not getting sent to the bin. But then we have fans that say that that's not a send off, or it's not even a bin. You know, there was people saying that. There was people saying that there wasn't much wrong with the tackle. Oh, and, Lawton's, uh, Lawton's a good bloke, and Cam Cam Murray got straight up. There's nothing wrong with him. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you my take on the tackle, Perso. All right, and then you tell you tell me. Okay, let me let me put the the comb over what Lawton did wrong. To me, it was an old-fashioned spear tackle, very different to a lifting tackle, few key indicators for it. One um, of them is that it was one-on-one, okay? That's a really big deal. And some fans will say, Barnsley, why does it make a difference if it's one-on-one? It makes a big difference because if you're in that, if you're in a tackle by yourself as a defender... You've got the control to pull out. You've got 100% control over everything that happens in that tackle and it is your decision-making that ends up making that tackle in the end. That's number one. Number two, as soon as he got across the horizontal and he was going vertical, you'll see a lot of lifting tackles where defenders will let go. They'll maneuver the tackle. They'll shift the tackle. They'll change the trajectory or they'll just leave, pull their hands out. Um, many different things. Lawton never deviated from the tackle at any point. He held on the whole time with a good grip. And he then, the third worst thing out of all of it, the third thing is that he dove in. He left his legs and actually went down and finished the tackle off by diving and putting him into the turf head first. You cannot, I cannot recall a tackle in the last five years that I thought was as bad as that perso. So oh, I haven't seen one since Christian, I know. Yeah, and that was a bad one. So I, I mean, are you yeah, on the same page as me as far as? 100%. That, it, was, it was, as soon as I saw it, I, he's gone. I was watching it, it was eight minutes into the game, and I was like, he's gone. Well, that, that was bad. No, it wasn't intentional. He didn't like he intend to pick up and drop Cam Murray in his head, but like the spear tackle was something that got rubbed out of the game twenty years ago. That was a bad one. He got it wrong. There was no amount like he, he's a <laughs> good black competitor. He's a toiler, old Lawton. Like he's a dog. He gets in there and just does his work. And he went for the big shot. Got him. Got him in a good spot. Picked him, but he just. Like we said before, like normally when a player gets in that sport and they know that they're going, he just got wound up in the emotion of the shot. So kept going and drove him into the ground. It was an old-fashioned spear tackle. 
I don't care what anyone says. Hundred <laughs> percent. As soon as it happened, it was a send off. Yeah, they got the send off one hundred percent right. I would even say, you know, people have got short memories, right? And we've spoken about this many year before. That this was a this was a send off thirty years ago, and not only that, you probably would have copped six or eight weeks for it. So, you know, oh, you would have got more than four. That's for sure. So, I mean, talk about the four, because to me, the range was always sort of a four to eight week range, and I think that he got on the very light end of what he could have gotten. Like I wouldn't have whinged about six weeks. Um, so, what did you think about 100%. a month? But it's a good result for Lawton and Manly. Oh, no, that was – it was a bad one. It didn't look good. It, it, it resulted – didn't look like it. It just wasn't good, and that's what you want to stamp out of the game. And they came in, as you said, 30 years ago trying to stamp that crap out of the game. I wouldn't have had a problem with if he got eight weeks for that, intentional or not. Yeah. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. Intention has never been anything to do with the result. Or people coming out and say, oh, I didn't intend to do it and all that. It's never been an issue with it. No one intends to hit anyone high. No one intends to drop someone in the head. But it happens, and it's happened. So the consequence is <laughs> you, you've got to live with what the result is, not what you intended to do. Yeah, I've got to applaud the, the referee and the bunker in this instance. I think they got it 100% right. And, you know, in the... In the pressure of the moment and everything, it's a lot easier just to go for 10 in the bin. And it's also a lot easier just to put something on a report and give a penalty. And they 100% got it right. So well done to them. I agree. I agree. They did too. As much as that ruined the game from eight minutes on and the pressure on the refs that would have been you're eight minutes into a game and it's going to solve the result, I 100% agree they got the result right. Yep. And you mentioned intent there, which has been thrown around a lot. You're right. You know, one of the things with intent, and you touched on it, is... These days, especially, you know, I, for a very long time, no one's ever gone in on a footy field now in the NRL with the intent to to to, to injure or maim someone terribly. No, no one has done that, and that's that's made my argument a lot of the time with high shots because you know a lot of high shots are just accidental, and we we look at them like they're not accidental, and they are. But I tell you what, you can look at intent a couple of different ways. All right, now I've got no doubt that Lawton didn't intend to put. Cam Murray on his head. But I, I would put to you that there was intent in that tackle for it to go similar to how it did. You know, if if Carl Lawton didn't want that tackle to go the way it did, he would have let go and he would have altered the tackle. But he well, actually went click, on with it. it. So to me, there was intent to do that type it of did, tackle. It didn't click in his head that he had him over the horizontal. Mm. He just kept going with the draw. Hundred percent, you're right, and that's a bad decision. And yeah, you know, it, it, that's not an accident. It is a bad decision. He, and when you look at technique, like that was awful technique. So whether you're looking at the technique or, or whatever, there there is an intent or at least a purpose there for him to have done that. And he needs to learn a lesson from that because it was you know the wrong technique and the wrong tackle for him to try and pull off like that. And there was a many different things that he could have done which wouldn't have resulted in that. So to me, it was, it was decision-making on his part. And that doesn't mean he's a bad bloke. It, you know, all that sort of stuff that everyone wants yeah. to bring up. But None of that should even come in. Well, it shouldn't. It and I mean, I'm going to quote Phil Gould here, where Phil Gould came yeah. out and said, you know, that it shouldn't have been anything. It should just be a penalty. And But worse than that, one of the things that I'm going to quote that I thought was the absolute worst was, now we're going to get to see 13 on 12. Well done. Do you really think that's what your viewers want uh, to see? He absolutely gave me the runs this week, Phil Gill, with that comment about that 
Table. Now, that should have nothing to do with it, right? Because um, it, it you don't not send off players or not yeah. punish players because it's going to make the product for I TV mean, viewership worse, right? It's got nothing to do with he, it. He's not an intelligent human, Phil Gould. He's done a lot in the game. To be at this end of his career and coming out at state, look, that, that's just purely a statement for click baits on social media, surely. It's, I was really surprised well, he, by it. He, he played... He played football through the hardest era of it. Like he knows what it's all like. It was an absolute rubbish comment for me. I was actually really disappointed that Fittler agreed with him. I, 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 he didn't say as much, Freddie, but you know he did agree with him, and I was pretty disappointed in that. But I'll go on and say, per se, for you know, there's many fans of the game that love footy and know their footy that haven't played the game at, at any level. But even just playing at young young ages, like all the way through to when I was old, I. The thing that I hated most and I was scared of the most on the footy field was getting picked up in a tackle. You've got no control to defend yourself or manoeuvre. It is, it is the worst. And as soon as I used to get picked up, it used to be, ah, oh, shit. And I knew it was going to hurt and it did because you're going to come down on your back or something flat and you weren't going to be able to protect yourself. It was the one tackle that I hated. You know, I, I could cop all the other tackles. I didn't care. But as soon as you got lifted up, I reckon for me that was one of the worst one of the worst tackles you could cop on the field. Well, it's always been that way, and that's why they tried to outlaw it thirty years ago. It's like the eye gouge and the trip. Like the trip is a massive one for me now. Like you would have got sixteen weeks for a trip in the eighties. Now you get a thousand dollar fine. That's right. It's like fair income. and people were like, "Oh, that's all right," but they're going to whinge about this and that. Well, my barometer on this was all off, right? Because, you know, I I generally am someone who does think the game has gone slightly soft in a lot of areas. I do think that the game needs to pull its head in with how much it um, punishes players for certain things, like some of the higher shots and, and, and whatever that we see and how much we send players off. And I'm on that side of things, you know. I'm normally on the side of things that punish them less, you know, penalise them less. Whereas for me, this one, I was like, yeah, I've got it right and I'd probably punish him more. So I was quite surprised yeah, uh, that there were so many people you know, on, on the, that, that page. I'm on the same page with that. <laughs> you know, we've had many conversations about that sort of stuff. And it is what it is these days with that stuff. But yeah, 100% with that, they got it bang on. Bang on right. And sending off was 100% the right call. And four weeks straight away, you know, lucky it was four weeks, to be honest. Like it's, I can't believe people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, that shouldn't have been. Like, it was a spear tackle. It was a good old-fashioned yeah, spear tackle. Yeah, very different to the lifting <laughs> tackles that we see. Well, the Jack White mine's the exact. He, he got suspended for two weeks for his today. That was a lifting tackle, what Jack White. Mm, and it was too involved in it, right? The, so it was, quite a, it was a very, very different scenario that can't, you can't really And he got it. two weeks for that, and no one's even talking about yeah. it. So <laughs> there you go. Well, look, I think that people need to remember too that whilst um, injury doesn't take come into account, um, the potential of injury and therefore the danger of a tackle does come into account when you penalise these type of things. And there is there is no way that a, a high shot where you have the you know a clip on the head that comes off the ball first and things like that that you see guys get two weeks for. There is no way that's anywhere near the type of injury concern that we should have for someone getting lifted in the way that Carl Lawton lifted Cam Murray last week. So I'm not piling on Carl Lawton at all. Uh, I don't think he's a dirty player. I'm not saying any of that, you know, but everybody makes mistakes on the footy field. He made a bad one and he needed to cop that. And Manly fans, I'm sorry, he needed to be sent off. Holbrook and the Titans. Now, this is one that, this has been a topic that's been lingering for a few weeks per so. Um, Now I'm going to, 
go back in the DeLorean with Marty. We're going to go back in time here. <laughs> and I'm going to go back to four weeks ago where I was blowing up to everybody that I could talk to about what the Titans at Holbrook need to do to get the media to say he's under pressure and they're going terrible this year. Because he, I tell you, he was not one of the coaches until the last couple of weeks who, that was ever, ever talked about under pressure. Um, the Titans, to me, this year have played terrible football. And only the last couple of weeks have people started to actually jump in on the media and actually recognise it. I think it should have been talked about way earlier. As far as where they're at, they've got two wins and six losses. One of those um, losses was last week against Penrith, and I think it actually quietened down people again because they didn't lose by much to Penrith. 18-4, you know, looks like a solid effort on the scoreboard, but Penrith played the worst game probably for two years that they've played. Um, And I just, I cannot get over how poor the Titans look. Now, Holbrook's in his third season there now. He's got a 40% win percentage. Granted, it's not a, you know, a Trent Barrett 12.5% win percentage at the Dogs. But it, it hasn't been phenomenal. I think that he's gotten a lot of credit for them playing finals footy. Um, which, you know, they were kind of just fodder, right? We've spoken about this before, and anyone could have made that seven or eight spot. It was always going to be fodder in those competitions. So it's kind of a bit of a throwaway. And, and, you know, Luke Garrity that comes on this podcast a lot that you know quite well. To win eight and lose 10 and make the semis, it was the easiest year to ever win the make the semis last Yeah, it was. Just slipping in that spot. Seriously, that's never going to happen. And Luke has said many times on this podcast when we chatted that, you know, it's, it's very deceiving just to look at whether you make the eight or not. You know, because if you're in that back end of an eight, you could you could very easily just be twelfth as well, and that's kind of how I feel about the Titans as well. Yeah, 100%. So, to you, Perso, you know, it, I'll, I'll finish off by saying the Fafita stuff has been the icing on the cake for me, and I can't believe um, the lack of criticism before the last couple of weeks about Fafita. He's a one point two million dollar player that for two seasons at Holbrook has paid that money for him now has been shafted to the bench to centre to starting several times and there has never been any rhyme or reason for it and the latest press conference from when Fafita was put to center last time uh, a couple of weeks ago was that he was there because we needed to make a change because things weren't working now if you as a coach think that your change needs to be the guy that you paid 1.2 million for that you can't get ball to put him in the middle isn't working you, or getting ball, uh, you should <laughs> put him in a spot to get less ball and have less impact on your side and that's your move to change things up you know Surely there has to be a lot more questions asked about Holbrook and his tenure at the Titans at the moment. Should the Titans have paid 1.1 for an edge forward? No, but they have. That's not uh, Fafuda's fault. That's, <laughs> that is what it is. But uh, you touched on straight away. Oh, we need to try things, so we'll, we'll shift him out to centre. But even going further to that, he's been on the left edge and they shifted into the right edge this year. And then they attack left. So you get your $1.1 million strike edge back rower on the right when you're attacking left. And you put Bay Firma at left and put Proctor on the bench and Fafita on the right. It's been that like the whole, it's, there's been head scratching things the whole season with it. And it uh, okay, we'll put him, Talakai calves up for a couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll throw Fafita out of center and see if he can do the same thing. They're completely different players. <laughs> it's just, it's just think, ridiculous. And it's something that like, uh, a coach in his first year would do in like park footy, right? That we just had a, another centre carve us up that was big. So why don't we put one of our big blokes in centre and see how it goes? You can go further than that. Yeah, he's got a young spine, but that was his doing. They, they let um, Fogarty go to Canberra. Fogarty was the only one who had a bit of experience in that spawn. 
Um, you've got you're running with a spawn of Sexton. Like, like, no disrespect to Aaron Clark, he's not. <laughs> he's not a fantastic hooker. Does a job, but he's not. Would he start at nine for any other club in the NRL? I think the answer no, would be no. He wouldn't. So he'd be a fantastic player at Queensland Cup. He's an NRL player. He's done, but like he's not dynamic by any stretch. You've got a rookie in Sexton at halfback. They started the Brimson at five eight. Campbell was a fullback. Campbell got injured the last two weeks. Campbell's been back playing Q Cup. Hasn't come back in the sore. He's put Brimson back to fullback, which. Probably Brimson is a better fullback than he's a five eight, and Will Smith's gone there. But like it's, but you look at the the young like the big money players that they've got in um, Tino and Fafita, they're only young blokes as well. So it's not like there's a, a massive foundation for it. It's chopping and changing, and, and it just looks like the first they started off alright. And then it looked like they're going to stick with that spawn, which is what you got to do with the young spawn, stick with him and hold him mm-hmm. in. And then all of a sudden he's decided to not to, and he's throwing for Flitter out in the centre and he's putting him on the bench. And it just looks like after about five games, okay, I'll, he's just struggling for ideas and just chopping and ch- it just It's bizarre what's going on there. It's... Yeah, the recruitment's like a really good point too because a lot of it is his recruitment now. And... One of the decisions that he made was Jaden Campbell was going to be, a, you know, they've re-signed Jaden Campbell and he's meant to be, you know, the, the fullback. And he, he showed a lot of glimpses and stuff, granted some errors and things, but to to not put him in and sign Asako during the season to come over. Now, Asako is, you know, a Broncos offcut that hasn't been able to stay in that Broncos side who has been not very good and certainly not a final side. You know, the he wasn't in the side last year. He was dropped in the spoon side at times that the Broncos got the, the spoon for. Like, you're going to bring him across and, and give him a go and he's going to get a crack at full back for you. I, I don't... There's so many decisions like that that you just say, well, what are you doing? You know, and the Fermor one's an interesting one when you change sides. You know, Fermor got a heap of ball the first couple of rounds and ended up scoring two tries the first two weeks. And you paid $1.2 million to recruit this forward that you changed sides for and you're not getting him any ball. It's... It is bizarre, the the type of decisions that are there. Um, but at the same time, again, not not enough people are talking about it, you know, and they're in 12th at the moment, Perso. I said two wins, six losses. That is the same as the Knights in last place. They are actually on the same points as the Knights in last place. So that's... They're a big chance of getting the spoon. With how they're playing, and now they've obviously got Fafita out of the side altogether for a month. 100%. And it, it, now you got Proctor back in. You actually got put back in to bench for feeder before. So, I mean, they're in all sorts of trouble, the Titans. I don't actually see a way out of it. Do you see them improving or a way out of the mess that they're in? Or do you, do you actually see Holbrook even staying there until the end of 2024 when he's contracted? Oh, it's it's hard to say what's going to happen with Holbrook. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they overachieved last year to slip in the top eight when they lost... I think they won eight and lost ten. So I didn't expect them to make the eight this year, looking at the side that they had. And, but, um, yeah, definitely <laughs> from what we've seen this year, I can't believe Hybrox's not one of the most under-pressure coaches in the goal. Mm, there's been some other decisions too. I'm, I'm going to go on about it with Holbrook, but I really like Mo Fodawaka. He benched Mo many times. You know, when Mo made made the Origin team last year, I think it was he was he was playing on the bench for the Titans. Like it's he should he should be playing sixty minutes a week. 
but he's not. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's uh, Tino was it was a, a good signing. I mean, I, I don't think they paid heaps for him, but it's. But they're not playing him the right way either. They're using him as a, a he's he's a twenty one year old bloke. They've thrown him in as captain of the club, and he's just playing a a dog style in the middle, just doing all the defensive work. All the, like he's a much better player. They could utilize him so much more than just having him as that. 50, 60 minute player in the middle that's just doing all the dirty work. Like, you don't want him doing well, that. Well, they, they signed him. When they signed him, he scored like eight more tries for Melbourne that year compared to his Titans season because of how Melbourne were using him. And Cameron Smith was getting him in close to the line and putting him in spots to score and putting him in semi holes. Like, 100%. it's just, we could go on and on, but Holbrook and the Titans should be on notice. Um, I don't think they've been running too well with how they've been managing things. And Holbrook, should 100% be under pressure as much as a lot of teams. This week, the Titans and uh, Justin Holbrook take on the underperforming Roosters. So it's going to be a real test because the Roosters aren't performing either. Uh, and either the Titans are going to musk up and they're going to show something or they'll play the Roosters in the form. So it's going to be interesting to see nonetheless. You need to take a quick break from the footy talk and talk about the fantastic sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast, and that is Top Sport. Top Sport are 100% Australian-owned bookie. If you like to have a bet, make sure you do it responsibly, but check out Top Sport. You can go to topsport.com.au or download the Top Sport app, which is super easy to use. And they often have the best odds in market. Being 100% Australian-based, you're always going to get 100% Australian-based service and also the best service as well, in my opinion. Go on to Top Sport today. Use the promo code from this podcast, though, and they'll take really good care of you. So the promo code is SC All Stars, all one word. You can use that promo code when you create an account. And they've not only got the best sporting odds, but you can obviously find some great racing on there as well. And some of the, the, the super coach buffs have been getting right into the fantasy um, performance markets too. They've got their own fantasy scoring system that's based on the NRL. You can jump on there and have a look at the player performance markets. Normally the day before or the day of the game, they're available. And you can bet on over and under on points scoring for fantasy points. So that's a lot of fun. So I urge you to jump on there if you like the super coach as well. But topsport.com.au, get on and create an account today with SC All-Stars as your promo code. Next topic, Perso. Eels and the Jacob Arthur controversy the last week. Now, <laughs> I um, I find it... Uh, first off, I'm going to say, you know, on social media, when people are calling you out... Um, you know, online trolls and things like when you're sending players messages and having a go at them personally and talking about their family or just being, you know, aggressive and abusive towards them because of on-field performances, that's not on, you know, 100% it should be called out and everything. But the media has just sort of taken this little swivel and they've gone one step further and, and kind of called out fans for saying anything about it. You know, the Parramatta Eels social media pages were turning off comments so people couldn't mention Jacob Arthur and things in the selection and to me, that's going way too far. So I'm going to speak up for some of the Eels fans here because Eels fans and fans in general have every right whilst not to you know, abuse and be derogatory personally towards players and private message them and stuff. But they've got every right to talk about selections in their football team and things that they think are wrong or aren't working. You know, So if you're a first-grade football player, surely you have to expect some of that. Um, and Jacob Arthur, I, I thought, was a, a bad call as well. You know, so I kind of agreed with some of them. Um, and the media seems to think that players like him should be protected. You know who could have protected him per se? His dad, who's the coach. He could have made a different decision. <laughs> Especially considering that Dylan Brown's been killing it 
Like outside of Munster, him and Munster have been the best two form five eights of the comp. So I know the Eels are a bit um, stretched at centre, so I can see why you might push Dylan Brown out there because they've got no other options. But um, look, you could almost throw Matto out there. Well, look, uh, the amount of options that you have that doesn't have Dylan Brown going exactly. There. It, it was it's, it's, uh, look, it's not Arthur's fault. Look, it's not Jake Arthur's fault. But um, you can, I'd 100% agree with it. All the trials carried on and doing that sort of stuff is just not on. But fans getting on fan pages and just saying, oh, why have we got Arthur at 5 we should have to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be silenced for that. And at the end of the day, like, whilst Arthur's a young kid and he might get better, he hasn't performed. So, you know, when you're any player, whether you're two games in your, your NRL career or 250, fans are going to let you know if you had a bad game. And that's... That's fair game, you know, because I tell you what, you do get all the accolades if you play well. If Arthur was playing this week, which he isn't, but, you know, if he if he was and he blew up and had a, a fantastic game, everyone would say, well done. So you can't have it both ways. And to me, I think that Brad Arthur should have known and been able to prepare his son for the type of the type of feedback he was going to get and the type of pressure he was going to get. Um, certainly not for personal vitriol and direct messages and stuff, which isn't on, but certainly for being critical of the selection in the game, you know, Brad Arthur should have been well aware of that as an experienced coach. And he just the, wasn't. The the players this, these days, Barnes, they go through that many courses when they come through the junior ranks of all this stuff. Like they, they get schooled about this stuff. As soon as they get to like Harold Matts, they get spent a lot of time going through, how to handle social media, how to handle pressure, and all that stuff. So they should all be seasoned to it anyway. Yeah, it's very true. And look, it's it's something as well that, to me, you know, again, as long as it's not over the top, like that sort of stuff as a professional athlete is really important in your development. Like that should mentally strengthen you, that should spur you on, that should motivate you. Um, and I just, I think that, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with a lot of the... um the fans saying that they were displeased because when you have a look at the performances per se, it wasn't very good. And last week was the, the bottom of the barrel when you get done 35 to four versus the Cowboys and the type of game they threw up there and how, how Dylan Brown has looked the last couple of weeks after being one of the form five eights, like we've said, you know, it's just, it's a really poor decision from Arthur senior. Um, and I, I think it's really hindered the eel. So we'll see how they bounce back this week, but we need to move on back down your way. We said, we're going to talk about Ponga. Five years, $5 million. I thought it could have been a lot worse. I thought they could have paid $1.2 million for him. The reality is he's probably only worth about six hundred k a year at the moment, but he does obviously have that potential per se. So only 24 years old, so he's going to be a knight for his prime, 24 to 29. But are they going to get his prime? You know, uh, one of the big things with this was he had clauses before um, and he's come out and said that he doesn't have like all blacks clauses anymore and all this stuff and he's committed to the Knights. But we all know if, if a if a footy player wants to leave, they could be one year in or a five-year deal and they, they can still go. So how do you actually see this paying out and how do you see that, that contract as far as the five years and one million from the Knights? Oh, I think it had to happen. One way or another, it had to happen. If, um, if Ponga left and went to the Dolphins, like, in the situation with the Knights, so it would have been devastating to him. But just as much off the field as it is on the field. Like every second kid in you, he's only going to take me young bloke down to footy every weekend. They all want to be Karen Ponga. They've got Karen Ponga's headgear. Like, and so the off field stuff, 
which is what a lot of people don't realise comes into these marquee signings, what he offers off the field. And while he's there at the club too, he's a marquee player. So potentially you got him at fullback, you can attract other players to the club. If they did lose him, I just, it would have been, I don't know, I don't know whether the Knights would be, they'd be back down, right down the bottom again. Um, is he going to bring him a premiership? Not with the current spawn and stuff they've got around him. That's the problem. But it was a mass. It was a massive win for the Knights signing him. Uh, whether that's going to pay off, whether they're going to get to be a marquee team for three or four years or so is another question. But if they had lost him, they'd be back to the wooden spoon again. Yeah, I mean, coming into round nine, he's he's got I think one try assist, no line break assist, and two tries. So that's it's not it's not good form that he's been in, and I think everyone recognises that. But what I will say as a positive is, you know, one million a season for five years. I think the five years is key. Like getting him to commit for five years, um, uh, like a million in twenty twenty two isn't the same value as a million dollars in twenty twenty seven. It's you know, like, and you sort of saw that with with um, like DCE's deal, right? Like in the back in the last couple of years, he he probably got could have gotten two hundred k more than that on the open market. But it's just because as you go along, the salary cap also increases, and a million bucks isn't the same five years down the track. So I think paying Ponga a million bucks in four and five years time is actually going to be pretty good. Um, and certainly, if they were paying him one point two, you know, I, I thought that was going to happen. So I actually think they did a pretty good job on the contract. Um, and I agree with you. It's good that he didn't go to the Dolphins because that was a real threat. And I thought that he was a real good chance of going there. The negative of it though, is that you pay someone a million bucks in your team. You know, it's, it's their job. <laughs> you know, Kalen says he wants to win games. And so, okay, mate, well, it's your job too, because you're the star and you're the alpha, you know, it's, it's up to you and you're the spine player. Whereas the issue is going to be for me per so I actually think that he's, he's not an alpha. He's actually a support star. Oh, I think that he needs an alpha star to lead that team, and he's actually a number two. Oh, 100%. He's not going to do anything with the, the spawn that they've got, with the halves that they've got. So, I mean, to me, it's like a if you brought a monster so in or something. By, by signing him and having him there, maybe it gives the Knights a bit more power to get. So, well, we've got Ponga. Maybe they can sign, sign a mark. Well, that's true as well. Um, and I mean, like they've. They've obviously been pushing for half because the Luke Brooks rumours won't go away. Hopefully, he's not the guy. Mitchell Moses is another one coming up now. And, I mean, they're talking about him requesting a million plus. I think Moses has improved out of sight the last couple of years. Uh, but if anyone pays him a million plus for five years, they're, they're asking to be punished for that. Yeah, that'd be 200k over. So, I mean, this is the other thing too. Like, a, they've got to find someone available and then they've got to find someone to come over there and you kind of get the sense that Ponga might get upset in the next couple of years. It's a start. If they, Apparently, there's no clauses in it this time with the player options and all that stuff. He's signed for five years, so it's there. But like, as you said, yeah, contracts are worth whatever they're worth. <laughs> when <laughs> players, and, players and player managers put their foot down and you know, they want to get out of it, they get out of it. What's your take on Ponga's season so far as far as his performances go? Oh, he hasn't been. He has, definitely hasn't been his best, that's for sure. He's had glimpses where he's been good, but a lot of it, the Knights, like the, the, they lost Braley in the preseason. They, so their hooker they've got is like nowhere near. He's a, New South, he's a Newcastle Cup player, Chris Randall. Yeah, you know, he's no Braley, that's for sure. That was a massive blow to start with. 
they've got young house in clune like clune, they bought clune as a backup and they thought they had brooks so they um, let pierce go early so they've got no uh clifford's crazy like yeah i don't know and they've got an aging pack it's um it's hard to say where pong is form is but having said that if he's going to sign that 100 the the, uh, the immune dollar contract like he, like a Tedesco or Trevojevic and that he needs to start playing more like Tedesco and Trevojevic. He needs to get himself involved, run around the middle, get the point for a bit more direct play up and hover around. Like Clemens playing vintage football at the moment up the middle and offloading, so Ponga needs to be pushing up the middle and playing direct and getting more involved. That's the thing. He he's not that type of player. So if he's on a million dollars a year maybe he should be that that's i can see the argument with fans and getting disappointed and paying for bonger for a million a year for five years mm. when he's not not your elite he's sort of he's got the potential to be the best fullback in the comp but he's a tier below isn't he yeah he is and like he's he's someone that i also thought by now would have been there like when i saw him as like a teenager, I thought that he was red hot. You know, I absolutely loved Caelan Ponga and I very much cooled on him the last couple of years. But he is young in a sense um, and he's good that they've got him locked up between ages 24 and 29 because that's when you want to lock up someone like him. But at the same time, the, the youth excuse is starting to wear thin, isn't it? Because once you hit 24, you know, he's been in the league for, what, five years? Uh, it's it's starting to not be that young. It's starting to actually get to the point where you need to be delivering and actually starting to get to your prime years, right? Yeah, 100%. Look at Latrell Mitchell. Mm. Pretty much the same age. And you, and it, no one would say that uh, Polgar's anywhere near Latrell's skill level, would they? No. I, I don't, you know what? I think three years ago they would have. Um, and I think that Ponga's actually gone the wrong way. 100% they would have. Well, it's going to be tough, um, but I think that uh, it's it's also going to be really interesting what happens if the Knights end up with the spoon. Well, which is a real possibility at the moment too, which you wouldn't have thought of earlier in the year. But yeah, uh, mm, well, There's a lot of factors involved, like you said. It's, it's not all on Ponga. Um, they've, they've got a lot of other players out of form. O'Brien hasn't been great. They've got other guys who are injured and been out for the year like Braley. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, it's... When you see how Ponga and his manager slash dad have been operating with this contract and how long and prolonged the process was and how much he said that he wants to win and all these other things. yeah, it, it... Just his involvement in the game too, though, Barnes. He, like, like, he doesn't push himself into the game like Tedesco or Trevojevic or those Hines uh, or Papineers and those top-line sort of players. He, he just hangs out the back. And that's a real development problem for me. How much you put that down to coaching and how much you assess it onto Ponga himself and his shoulders, that's up to each individual, but it's both. And some of it's going to be on Ponga. And I don't think that his game has really changed that much the last few years. I I really, and for someone, you know, those, those ages of 20 to 24, you expect a lot of development and change. Like I remember when Tedesco came to the Roosters, you know, he, he wasn't a passer at all. He, he was a runner and that was it. And his he's passing game was out of the sight. Roger Tuovasa Shek, you know, he was a he was an awful percent. passer. He couldn't even actually pass the ball. Forget about putting guys away. He couldn't even throw a pass. And how he managed to the last couple of years of his Roosters career do that and then go over to New Zealand and and be getting all these line break assists and try assists with these perler of balls that he was throwing. It was it was great development. 
you know, but Pongat just seems to have not developed at all the last few years. And that is a skill set, but also his attitude towards the game. You know, you mentioned getting involved and stuff. Winners and guys who want to win and stars that are going to have people follow them are guys that go in there and do things differently when they're not working. So if you're out there passing the ball, trying to find holes and it's not working, if you're out there running and trying to sidestep and you're getting belted, or if you're out there catching a cold because you're not getting the ball, you know, those type of players are the type of guys that go in and take a hit up, who try and take, try and run a play in the ruck, who try a chip and chase, who do all these other things that are variable that they don't normally do to try and get a win or just to work hard and get around the ball. And I don't see that from him at the moment. And that's probably the biggest issue I have. No. And on top of that, a modern day fullback's biggest job is calling those plays. You're at the back, you're calling, you're pushing guys into areas. You're saying go, go there, and then you're running off the back of it. You look at Tedesco in the last couple of weeks, how we said earlier, he's, uh, he was a bit underdone at the start of the season, but he's been phenomenal the last two weeks, and the Chooks have been down, but he's been everywhere in everything. And look, if you're getting paid a million dollars a season, that's what you want. You want your fullback, who it's arguably in the modern game, fullback is probably the most integral position in a side defensively and attackingly because you're at the back and they, like you're pushing guys into areas. You, it's what you see off the ball as much as what you see on the ball. Is Ponga that player? That That is the question. Has he got the ability to have the voice to push guys into areas and control the side from the back in attack and defence? That, that's probably the biggest key there. I really don't know where I'm you at on at the moment, it. but it's going to be an interesting 12 months from Caleb Ponga. Well done to the Knights for actually getting the deal done, though. It's uh, you know better to have him than to have him to have him leave and go to the Dolphins, I guess. The next topic is going to be Big Tui Kamakamitha from the Storm. Just had a suspension handed down of nine weeks and a ten thousand dollar fine. Interesting thing with that is it's actually retrospective per se. You know, like normally, yes, so he's back, next, he's back week. next week. You know, <laughs> a lot of the time. You try and guess what the NRL does and what their procedures are and stuff and what things mean, and then you end up with an answer that's a pineapple. You just you just end up getting stunted so many times. For me, I, I thought it was nine weeks from now because that would have made sense. Oh no! Um, and you know what? You know when it's something this that would have been on par with Milford. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, it's not. It's he's actually back next week. I, I'm a, a little bit similar to the Lawton tackle, actually. I'm a little bit disappointed in, in some league circles on how many people are actually against him getting this suspension and fine. I actually think he's getting off light, okay? And I am someone who goes on the errs on the side, especially with um, some off, off-field off stuff. I'll err on the side of, you know, not going over the top and stuff sometimes. Here's, here's what the story is for, for those that aren't sure. Or I think some people are maybe getting the facts wrong as well. He was he was being charged by police and that was to do with him being outside a pub and being seen to um, physically assault a, a woman. That's what it came down to. And that's basically what he was what his charges were. And the charges were um, dropped recently. The NRL was obviously waiting to see what happened. There were serious enough charges and the, the police have dropped those charges. Now, everyone is, well, not everyone, a lot of people have sort of turned around and said, well, you know, the police have dropped the charges. He's innocent. That's not the case. It just means that they're not going to prosecute. And a lot of different things can happen for for prosecution and say we're not going to go forward with the case. It can be that the, the person that was involved that was assaulted says they're not going to do anything or they're refusing to. It can be a settlement was reached with them. 
even behind closed doors, we don't know. Um, it, it can just be that nobody involved wants to actually go through with the case. It can be that key witnesses can't be found or aren't going to be used. It can be so many different things, all right? But At the end of the day, it's not a good look for the NRL. Well, and this is the thing, right? Like, I was really surprised with how many people are saying um, the NRL is trying to be, you know, bigger than the police, bigger than the, the, the court of law. And it's got nothing to do with it. Like, you, you will lose your job if you go into your job each day and call your boss an asshole 17 times every day, but you're not going to get put in a court or put in jail for it. You know, <laughs> employment contracts and what you have to do under your employment contract are very different, different to criminal charges in the court of law. So the NRL, like all jobs, have um, employment contracts that also have codes of conduct and expectations of player behaviour as an employee, the same as all of us, really. And if you go against that, you're going to either get punished or you're going to lose your job. And that's what's happened in this instance. You don't need him to be found guilty and prosecuted in the court of law if you watched a videotape that shows him assaulting a woman in the street. Oh, I applaud the NRL for their stance on this. 100%. They've, they've seen the footage. They made the Yes, you didn't get charged. The charges were dropped. As you said, there's so many insinuating circumstances. They viewed the footage where he's pushed a woman over. He's an NRL player. It's not what the NRL want to perceive themselves to be. It's not what we should be promoting. So 100%, they've got this 100% right. And I guess the other thing with it too, per so is like, like I'll say out front, like I haven't seen the video and I never will. And this is the thing: none of us will ever see the video. So you know, I could I could make a very good argument right now that nine weeks is far too light. And if the NRL are actually going to say we absolutely have a zero tolerance policy to violence towards women, you know, I would I would call that out and say, well, if you've got a zero tolerance policy, giving someone nine weeks and a ten k fine is a slap on the wrist. Because to me, assaulting a woman in the street 100%. outside a pub is awful. But, but I will say I haven't seen the video, so I don't know what degree it was. You know, we're never going to see it though. This is the point. So I think that everyone needs to understand that he was going to get punished, and it is a serious offence, regardless of what scale it falls on. It, it's got to be treated seriously, right? Oh, hundred uh, percent. You, you, you said that perfectly. No one's seen it. We don't know what it is, so no one can get outraged at it. But you got to trust the NRL's discretion with this, even though the court was after the time and uh, it was turned away from court, no charges paid. The, the uh, NRL's viewed the footage of it, the CCTV footage, they have it. They don't have enough for the, to be not the image that they want to promote the game for. If that footage ever came out and they didn't do anything accountable oh, for they'd it. they'd be killed, wouldn't they? Imagine the headlines. 100%. So that's obviously it was enough for the NRL to say, no, we need a stance on this. And it's different to other cases. If you see a video of something, you know what's happened because you just watched it. Exactly. So you've got to back the NRL with a decision on this. Look, I want to finish on something positive. Okay. There's been a lot of controversy in this podcast because that's what rugby league is. It's a lot of controversy. If you disagree with any of our opinions and stuff, that's fine because that's rugby league too and that's sport, you know, and hopefully everyone takes it in the, the sporting sense that it's intended for. But Legend Rewind, ah. Stephen Menzies, ah. what a player. <laughs> and he's... Uh, probably, look, I don't know if he's my first favourite player, but Menzies. Well, personally, there's a few people that would be listening to this podcast now that probably didn't see him 
um, debut. He debuted in 1993 with six games. But for me, like talking about the accolades first, like it, it's quite extraordinary. That's a freak. He scored in the NRL 180 tries in 349 games as an edge back row. Yeah, it is more than a 50% strike rate. Phenomenal. His first full season after he debuted in 93 was in the 94 season. He came and played 23 games and scored 16 tries he got in his first full year, season. Got rookie of the year. Two and years in a row kangaroo after that. Tour. Yeah, a kangaroo tour as well. Two, two years after that, the two seasons in 95 and 96, back-to-back seasons of 20-plus tries as a back row forward. 22 tries in... Um, 1995, 1996, 20 tries, and he would do that feat again in the NRL in 1998, scoring 20 tries in 25 appearances. For me, it, it was always the memories of him uh, running off a of cliffy lines. But you know, as far as uh, the other accolades, he also played 15 matches for Australia where he scored 12 tries in his 15 matches. So he was a, a try-scoring freak, um, but it was also how long he could play for. So I think that everybody that knows Steve Menzies, his name is synonymous with try scoring, how he could attack. But unless you actually watched it, you you would not be able to give the credit to his attack that it deserved. He had so many tries that were 50 plus metres where he would beat everybody um, and beat fullbacks and score long range tries as a back rower and as a back rower in an era where nobody had done that. And I don't even think anyone has actually done that recently. So, I mean, there's other parts of his game per se that I want to talk about, but just a try scoring in his attack, it was scintillating. How do you remember it? There's two forwards for me that have forgotten the forgotten people when it comes to, like, uh, yeah, Immortals and whatever else, and how they changed the game. That was Lazarus, a crop, and Menzies as second row. He, Menzies was the first second row that... um, He's, he changed the game the way second rounds play, running that edge line. He was the first that ever did that and just super fit. But, like, he would run those lines and it was phenomenal. He burst on the scene and, like, he scored 20 tries in his first season. He's a freak, absolute freak, man. He's, uh, it, you, you look at what he scored and there's been he – he's got 180 tries in his career. And there's like Frank Burge scored 146 back in 1919. He was the, the only other forward that's ever made that list. It's just phenomenal. And you're right, he doesn't get talked about enough. And I think that a lot of people as well um, put him down to just a try scorer, which he wasn't. He was actually, you mentioned fitness. He was one of the fittest guys and most professional players you ever see. And he was playing at 40 still over in the Super League. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He started in like his rookie year. As you said, he played six games in '93, but he ran rookie of the year in '94. He won a grand. He scored a try in the grand final in 2008 when um, mainly beat Melbourne 40 nil, and then he went over to the UK for another three years. <laughs> it's, it is he's phenomenal. He is one of the best I've ever seen, and he the way it's back row was playing here, came from the way he played. He ran off cliffy lines. That They started that. That didn't happen. There wasn't that specific line running edge back rowers in the game until that point. That They were the pioneers of Yeah, and I, 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 he he was one of my first favourite players. There was E.T. and then there was Steve Menzies and then there was Freddie. 
you know, the, early on, those are the three in order. Um, but Menzies, I don't think I've seen anyone like him. Like, even though that you're right, like he was the prototype um, edge back rower that we have today that can attack and, and score tries. I still don't think anyone did it like him. Like, he just, he was so fit and athletic and how he moved, you know, he moves so well. You look at him now, I reckon he's still played better than I suppose he's just that fit now. Can you even compare him to anyone? Like, in your lifetime, did you even see anyone that reminded you of what Steve Menzies did with the ball in hand? No, no, that's a freak. Best, I'd happily say he's the best edge back row I've ever seen, easily. I think he's the best back row I've ever seen. And I'd put him up there with the top few forwards I've ever seen for sure, um, which nobody ever says. A um, couple of things that aren't mentioned about Stephen Menzies, his defence was phenomenal too. Um, he actually had a phenomenal defensive technique where he had the the bootlace tackles down pat. You know, And I know that people don't like doing them anymore, but he would cut guys down with low tackles all the time. And because he was so fit as well, he got through a lot of work as well. Um, so one of the very few things per se that people mention with Steve Menzies because his attack was so out of sight, the fitness that he had gave him an incredible work rate, which also included very, very good defence. It was almost completely forgotten in his game. But overall, like, he could do everything. Oh, he was a freak. He'd get through 40 tackles a game. And that was just standard for him. That's what he did. And <laughs> he just spread it. But... It wasn't just as simple as running off cliffy lines. He just he, he had that ability to see where you need to be in an era where that wasn't coached. Like it, it's coached to bugger him now. That's what happens now. But that was in, in the era that he was doing that. It wasn't coached as much. It was, it was all very much natural ability, wasn't it? And one of the things, too, that we mentioned with with um, someone like Talakai earlier in the podcast, you know, here is a guy that came out in his second year, his first full year of first grade, and scored 20 tries. And he didn't let up. You know, the, the defences and all the teams in the NRL knew exactly what was coming. They knew he was a freak. They knew he was going to break the line. They knew he was going to score. Nobody could stop it. His entire career, nobody stopped Stephen Menzies. He was always scoring tries and breaking the line. He's an edgeback edge back rower that scored 10 tries in a season nine times. Yeah. I think that he had um he's got the three twenty pluses as well, doesn't he? I think too is that it, it kept happening when he right, went yeah. over, over to England too. And this is the other thing. Even when he was 38, 39 years old, he was still scoring tries in England. You know, he scored fifty eight in but his hundred and twenty eight English he, games. I think he scored he scored sixteen tries in his last year in two thousand eight <laughs> when he'd been coming off the bench and stuff. And then he, he scores a try in the grand final when they beat forty. He's just the boomer is Dead said one of the best players I've ever Let's seen. finish off by going through the numbers as well on his career because people, you know, might say, oh, yeah, you know, you're saying he was good and everything, but did he win or, you know, did he? Five grand finals as well. Not, a, not every player gets five grand finals, that's for sure. And he won two of them. So he's got two, two premierships out of his five grand finals. Um, won a Brad Fittler medal in 2006 in that one. Um, Dallium second row of the year, three years running. Dallium lock of the year, one year. And that was... Like I spoke about with Luke on our um, spotlight on on Lazarus, um, this was an era where, especially when you look at the New South Wales Oregon team, so many all-time back rowers that he was competing against. So, like, some people might say, oh, you know, he only won, like, four four back row of the year. It awards. was a plethora. You had Brad Clyde around then. You had all these guys, guys that considered some of the best ever. It was endless. 
especially for New South Wales, we had that many at that time. But no one, none of them were anywhere near like that's what Menzies did. It was just he he was the first in the scene that ever played like that. And I reckon that everybody loved playing with him because he was the type of player that made no mistakes, put in 100% effort, was always a consummate professional and was just a champion bloke off the field. So well done for Steve Menzies on your career. It was great going back for a legend rewind and, and spotlighting it. And I tell you what, one of the most underrated forwards in history, if not the most underrated forward in history, everybody should still be talking about Stephen Menzies. Cause... One last little thing I'll throw in there, Barty. Yep. He, as we said, he, he had those three games, six games in 93, rookie season 94. He made the Kangaroo Tour in 94 at 20 years old. And he stayed in it too, right? Games. Like you see, it, it, very rare you see him. 11, him. Games, 11 games and nine tries. It's <laughs> <laughs> a dead set freak. He, he was just the best, Menzies. No, I love talking about him. Um, if, if I ever decide to convert these to YouTube, I'll be watching clips and stuff so people can actually see for themselves and didn't get to experience it, how, how good it was. But if you're too young or, or you forget, go and look at YouTube He's and go original, and look at the highlights of Stephen Menzies. Original line runner. Like, uh, edge forwards never did that. Prior to him, you had your second rowers were like... Front row, so it was just forwards. You were all forwards. You all did your work, and you know, like you, you watch back prior to that. You had guys like uh, Paul Arrogan play front yeah. row, second row. He's an out and out front row, but like he could play second row at Origin. Or Menzies was the first of the guys that came into the era that we've got now, where you, you just you run off your half and run a line and run through, but still make forty tackles a game. Incredible career from Menzies. Incredible player. Perso, that'll wrap the podcast. We're talking footy this week. Mate, thanks very much for jumping on. Perso is a podcast extraordinaire. He's been on many a podcast. He'll be on many in the future. But hopefully your Tigers get up and, and we can chat again about it in the near future. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> thanks, mate. We'll talk again soon. No worries. It's been good, mate. Everybody else that wants to listen to me and Perso talk on this podcast or any of the other podcasts, we are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Amazon and Audible. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars and certainly jump on our sponsor, Top Sport. Top Sport, fantastic sponsor of the All Stars podcast. You can use promo code SC All Stars, all one word, when you create an account with them today and they'll know you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. But otherwise, this is a talking footy for this week, right ahead of the round. Hopefully enjoy this round of footy in round nine. On Tuesday, we'll be recording the TLT Supercoach podcast, and next uh, Friday, we'll hit another talking footy podcast. So until then, enjoy the round of footy, enjoy all the all the games and all the action, and we'll be chatting to you again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid.